Welcome to episode number six of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Today, our topic will be inherited land, where we will learn about the complexities of inheritance and how best to deal with these types of situations from the perspectives of a buyer or a seller. Our guest today is land professional Kaylin Campbell out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Kaylin formerly served in the United States Navy and is a lifelong resident of North Carolina. He graduated with honors from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and is one of the few agents in North Carolina to be awarded with the designation of accredited land consultant. He is a lifelong hunter and outdoorsman, and for him, land management is just a way of life. Kaylin has a wealth of knowledge, and working with inherited land is one of his specialties. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. All right, so I'm sitting here with Kaylin Campbell out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're talking about inherited land. Um, real quick, Kaylin, why don't you just walk me through how did you get here? Uh, how did you end up working with land in the first place? How did how did you enter this world? And and sort of what was your experience over the years? Sure, th- thanks for having me, Matt. Um, I was actually raised in Western North Carolina on a property, and and my family has always been into into uh, real estate, land development, and different facets of, of, of land. Um, after high school, I actually joined the, the Navy and, and spent five years abroad and traveling the world and uh, came back to Wilmington, North Carolina and Southeastern North Carolina uh, to attend UN- University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And as I was going to college, I got my real estate license and started selling with National Land Realty. Um, you know, working during the day, going to classes at night. And it was neat because I was able to, you know, learn a little bit of business in the night classes and kind of apply it firsthand day to day and kind of see how that, you know, kind of, kind of work together. Um, but as soon as I got into real estate and specifically land real estate, I knew it was for me and never sold houses, never had an interest to sell houses. It's just land is a great investment and it's just, it's, you'll learn so much and it'll take you so many different ways. And, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Yeah. And how many years have you been, been in the land industry? Uh, this will be my eighth year, eighth year. And it, cause I mean, I, I like to ask that. And especially in your case, like you, you are one of our younger agents and you've been one of the most successful in, in the entire organization. Um, you know, you've, you've proven, you've proven your metal over, over the years. And, uh, and I, I think that's a pretty remarkable success. Um, so, you know, we're here, we're here talking about inherited land. Um, and it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, it, it's a good topic to cover because a lot of people run into it. It's a, it's a very emotional topic because, you know, of, of the nature of, of what it is. This is when, when somebody in the family has passed away and left land to either designated through a will or, uh, you know, just, you know, a lot of the times people don't even get their wills done up in it and you enter into, into the negotiations of that come with land. Um, walk me through sort of, you know, your experience with, with inherited land and, and how you, 
work with families and, and sort of like the, the, the entry point, right? So like you're coming into a conversation and, and you find out that, that somebody is looking to sell land from like grandfather, grandma um, that, that they're working with. And, and just kind of walk me through the introductory stage and, and how sort of like you get your head around it. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm not an attorney. I don't claim to be an attorney. And if you have any, you know, specific legal questions, always contact counsel. You know, every state's different. I'm located in North Carolina, so I can kind of speak to speak to that. Um, you know, the processes in, in selling inherited land uh, can be a little it's subjective to the property and to the situation. A lot of times, you know, sometimes people will die without a will. Um, and this state, you know, sometimes has to go through a probate process and it can be messy. So when I have a family that wants to sell inherited land, the first thing that I do is I look at the title, the deed, and, and try to just get a feel for the story of the property, the ownership, how they, re, how they got it, when they got it, and, and learn as much as I can. Every property has its own story. That's one of the fascinating things about land for me is it's, I can connect with people because it is sentimental. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times people will inherit, you know, inherit land all the way back from, from the land grants, uh, from England. So every property has a story and, and learning, you know, the story to the property will help you get it either sold or bought or settle the estate or whatever the case may be. Um, I've dealt with, you know, quite a bit of inherited land. And a lot of times, unfortunately, when you start, you pull the deed and the last deed was, you know, 1927 and you, and, and you look at how many family members are involved now and, and they've had children and the children have had children. It just goes on and on and it multiplies, you know, a lot of times it, it, the, the attorney and legal work to get it figured out who owns it sometimes is, is more costly than what the property's worth. And what you'll have is you'll have these properties that'll go into, um, you know, tax foreclosures, uh, where people weren't paying the property taxes simply because I've dealt with people who frankly didn't know that they owned a property. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get a property under contract. We'll, we'll go to the closing, get, you know, you have the attorney will do all the deed work and, and title research in North Carolina. We still use attorneys for that. Some States use title companies, but, you know, you do the title work and, and next thing you know, Aunt Sally had three kids and, and one of those had a child and now they have a, you know, 25% ownership interest in the property and they had no idea. And a lot of times that's where you'll get into, um, you know, families will have internal debates and discussions and it can become problematic. And sometimes it's, it's easily resolved, but it's very subjective to the property into the family. Um, and you know, it's, it's not the same scenario every time. Right. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a, there's a lineage of succession with, with inherited properties, right? Like there's, um, in, in most cases, property will go to the spouse if the spouse is still living. Um, but if they have, there's different arrangements between if they had children before their current marriage, then there has to be division between the spouse and those children. And then, then it succeeds to uh, children with that spouse. And if that spouse is living, they, you know, the, the splits and it varies from state to state on how they manage these things. Um, 
And I think it's probably wise that we jump, jump into that on a state by state level, because that would take us all day. And like you said, we're not attorneys. Um, but, but walk me through sort of some of the conflicts that arise uh, when, when a family has inherited land, because people problems are always people problems. And, you know, talk me through sort of like the, the difficulty in working with families or, or the ways to do it successfully and, and sort of what you've seen, you know, what would, I guess, what would your words of advice be to a family that has inherited land together and is trying to figure out what to do? Sure. Well, there's always one in a family and, you know, a lot of times I'll deal with families and, you know, there's one individual that doesn't want to sell and the rest do. Um, and I'm sure every state's different. Um, however, you know, sometimes you can petition for division. You can say, okay, well, uncle Jim doesn't want to sell his 25% interest. The rest of the children do. So let's all agree upon a fair market value for the property. And then we'll divide the property. We'll cut out his 25% interest um, and, and convey it to him. And then we'll have the rest of it and the remainder, and then we'll sell that um, together. Um, I've done that several times. You know, it's not every property where I'm located is a hundred acre perfect square field that has equal value across every bit of it. So just, you know, as an example, just because it's a hundred acres doesn't mean that 25% interest is 25 acres. You know, some of the property can be wetland. Some can have non-suitable soils for septic tanks. You know, some could have a really nice timber value on one side and then could be cut over on the other. So again, it's subjective to the property. Um, the biggest thing is making sure that everybody in the family agrees to an overall value of the property. And that can be achieved by, you know, contacting your local land broker that can do a broker's opinion of value or a comparable market analysis for you. And, you know, National Land Realty has agents all over. And that's, that's one of the things we help people with is, is figure out the value of their property. Um, and once you can figure that out, then you can look and say, okay, well, how can we divide this um, equitably for everybody so that the one part that doesn't want to sell can, can retain their interest in theirs and the rest of the family can. Um, I recently worked with a buyer. There's a really nice farm um, near in, in my market where I sell and it was owned by five or six individuals, all, all family. And no one got along. They all wanted to sell, but no one wanted to, to work with one another. And it was, it, and it took the buyer about five years to get the property in its entirety. And he bought one person's interest out at a time. And it took him five years, about five years to do it. Um, so this is where, and, this is where did, the, did the parcel stay intact and they just had joint ownership or was he buying like... No, he was buying, correct. So the parcel stayed intact. So when he bought Aunt Sally's interest in the property, well, guess what? you've got this buyer now that has, you know, a fifth interest in a property with the rest of, of the family. So he's using um, the along with uncle Bill and like, you know, whoever else is there. <laughs> okay. Right. And for any investors that are listening, um, you know, a, a key and, and even landowners, you need to think if, if you want to maximize what you get for your property, um, you know, something to, to keep in the back of your mind is, 
let's say a property is owned by four heirs, four individuals. Um, when you go buy one of them out, a lot of times, you know, it's what you're, what you're buying them out is not, it might be 25% of the property, but it's not 25% of the value because now you own a property with three other people and you don't have controlling interest. So uh, to break it down, if, you know, if you're looking to, 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 if you have a property that's owned by two people and you're just to buy one of the, one of the parties out, what you pay for that shouldn't be half the value of the property because you're not getting half controlling interest of the property. You're not being able to do what you want. You can't build a house on it without the other person's approval. You can't, you know, cut the timber if there's some timber on it with other approval. So just because you buy a certain percent ownership interest out of a property doesn't mean that you can realize a full value of that property. So sometimes buyers will like this gentleman would go and buy it out one at a time and realize that that discount for knowing that it's not the full, the full, uh, you know, controlling interest. And then when he gets it all, well, now he's got X amount of money invested in the property that's, that's been discounted each time. So he's, he's sitting in a nice position when he, when he buys the property. And that's, right. that's so, something that's important for sellers to keep in mind too, to landowners that, you know, if the family can agree to sell the property in its entirety as a whole, um, and work together, a lot of times you want to maximize what you'll get for the property because you're not going to discount it um, by not selling controlling interest at, at each transaction. So, yeah, that's a really good point to bring up because, you know, just because you have like, you know, let's just go with low ball figures, like it, you, you've got a $500,000 parcel that, you, that you're working with, with your family. And let, let's say there's two people, you're not going to sell half of the interest or half of the controlling interest of that for 250, right? Because you got to take into account that whoever buys in has to ask your permission to do anything with the land. So you might get, you're not going to attain the full value of the property that you might otherwise get if you had everybody on the same page and were able to sell in its entirety. You know, you might end up selling that for like 150 because, you know, maybe your brother's a pain and the person who's buying doesn't want to work with them very well and they just want in on the land or something. I, you know, any given scenario could, could cause a lot of results out of that. So you're going to, you're going to do better business and get more value out of it. If you get your whole family on the same page. Sure. And what happens Mac, if, if, with your example of one property, two owners, you buy one of the two, you now own 50% of the property. And let's say you can't agree on, you know, where, how you're going to split it to, to divide the property. So you own, um, together this one property and let's say that other person dies and they've got four kids well now now you still own 50 percent of the property but now you have all these other people that you're dealing with and it just became convoluted because that's been happening all the children and now you've got four other owners that control 50 percent of the state yeah correct so a lot of times you know I had a, had a man tell me one time, he said, Kalen, he said, it's a lot easier to divide money than it is land. And there's a lot of truth to that. Um, so I work with a lot of landowners. The, the, the children have no interest whatsoever in the property. They know they're not going to come back and settle on the land. They're not going to farm the land. They, they're doing their own thing, their own life. 
you know, we'll market, we'll get top dollar for the property, then they'll take that money and they'll disperse it to the children accordingly. And that's, um, you know, that we've done that quite a bit. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a good point to bring up too, right? That that's, that's a lot of the times where you run into this scenario where it's inherited land looking to be sold is, is a lot of your agricultural communities, children have graduated from high school and moved off and like gone to a different town and grandpa passes away or dad passes away or any, any of those, you know, circumstances. And they don't, they're not agricultural kids or, or they're not, you know, outdoorsy or they, or they own this, they own something they don't know how to manage. And so they need to offload that um, either for tax purposes or just, they don't know it or, or any number of things. Right. And that can be a touch, you know, and that's, it can be a touchy subject. I mean, I own land personally and um, you know, it's sentimental and you know, and I, I can connect with people that, it, you know, the children don't have an interest in it. And now they're, you know, they've, they've built something, their whole life, maybe their dad's life and their life. And now the children don't want it. So it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of sentiment that goes into land and, and there's a lot of, you know, you got to just be cautious when you're dealing with, with, with landowners and buyers or whoever, just, you know, there's a lot of emotions can run high with, with in, in land. Um, and it's, it, it's something to, to look out for. Yeah, I was going to say, so, you know, obviously number one is, is any family that ends up in a situation like this needs proper legal counsel and, and to get an attorney right away to, to help them deal with it. And, and probably somebody in accounting to deal with the taxes, um, sort of the ins and outs of that. But you, you brought up specifically, uh, you know, a, a land professional, you know, I, I always kind of talk to this and I'm sure it's kind of beating it to death on the podcast kind of thing, but I'm, I just make sure to get it out there is like, it's not your average real estate person, like somebody who deals in residential real estate comes in and they're not, you know, you don't know the value of, of a, you know, of a holding ponds, you know, in, in an area for irrigation or, or how to evaluate a timber stand or even the timber stands can be evaluated or those kind of things. So it kind of starts, you know, one of the first steps is to get a proper valuation of the land. Well, you know, what are you looking at when you go in and look at the lands to, to give evaluation? And it, 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 not even really in an inherited situation, but just kind of give people an idea as to what you look at. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, Mike. I mean, I don't, you know, I'll sell houses when it's attached with land. I don't go into neighborhoods and sell houses. That's not my specialty. That's not how I'm geared. I'm strictly a land guy. And that's, that's all I've done. That's all I've wanted to do. And, you know, and fortunate national land, a lot of our brokers, I'd say, if not all of them could appreciate land and value it like I do. Um, so when you go on a property, you can pick up on certain nuances. You know, uh, we look at soil types um, in my area in southeastern North Carolina. Um, we have a lot of wet natured soils and I've got some friends that sell you know, land in, in the mountains and it's, it's very rocky. So when you're thinking about perk sites or septic tanks, you know, that adds a lot of value to a property. If you can put a house on it um, versus if you can't. Uh, how much wetland, how much usable land do you have on the property? Are there any conservation easements on the property that would devalue the property? You know, are you allowed to cut your timber if you have timber? If you have timber, what's the value of the timber? So there, there's a lot of, you know, it's all specific to the property. Um, and with the exception of a few, like, for instance, location is always, always important. 
Um, but you know, there's a lot of things that go into value on a property. If you don't specifically deal in land and specialize in land, you might miss some of those things that may make your landowner an extra 20 or 30% more. And conversely, if you're a buyer looking to invest in land, it's always advantageous to go through a land broker because there's certain things they want to look for on your behalf that may not pop on a title search. We just did a, I just closed 850 acres a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, during the closing process, we find out that the mineral rights have been retained by the, the previous owner. And, you know, having relationships in the business, we were able to get the mineral rights back from the previous owner and convey them to, to the new buyer. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuances and, and kind of uh, specialty items that you got to look out for, whether you're a seller or a buyer um, dealing with specifically land. Yeah. And that's something that to, it's a really good point to bring up is, is one working with a specialist like yourself that knows to look for these things because it's really easy to miss them. Like, it, so for instance, if somebody was looking to sell land, they might not know that they're retaining the mineral rights and that could devalue the property when somebody is looking to buy it. And because, you know, those are, those are pushed through with the, your, your conveyances and, and, you know, maybe, maybe even like you don't own the mineral rights and you're trying to sell the land and, and cause all you have is, let's say your family bought it years ago and you got 50% of the mineral rights and the previous owner retained 50. And so you're selling the, the land with hundred percent of your mineral rights, but that still only comes out to 50% of the total mineral rights. And if you're, and if you're not paying attention through that process, it's really easy to, to not be able to, to get full value out of it. And especially with, with people who have inherited land, moved away, don't really know the land. It's really important to find a professional like yourself that can work with you and make sure to, to kind of maximize what you get and, and make sure that the process goes well. Yeah. I'm, and I'm dealing with a property right now that has a road that takes you right to it. Um, and unless you thought to go pull the deed and it's a private road, um, to go pull the deed and see if it speaks to, a you know, the, the legal description speaks to a deeded easement or, or references a plat that shows an easement on it. Um, just because there's a road that goes to the property doesn't necessarily mean that's a legal access to it. And, you know, I don't want to get into, like I said, I'm not an attorney and every state's different, but, um, you know, there's there's different forms of easements. And a lot of times some properties, you know, back in the day, people would just cross people's properties, you know, back before the forties and fifties, 1940s and fifties. And it was, people looked at land more, you know, it was private ownership, but there was more of a sense of community and you could cross someone's land to get to yours. And, you know, easements weren't as, as, as uh, you know, as detriment, not having was not as detrimental then as it is now. Um, and so if you've got speaking to inherited property, a lot of times if it's inherited property, well, that means it hasn't sold in a long time. And which means that if, if it doesn't front on a public road, that's something I look out for and say, okay, well, if it hasn't sold in a long time, chances are it may not have a deed easement to it because at that time when it was inherited, that just wasn't the thing that they were, they were big on doing in my area. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, Inherited land is, is a lot more than just than, than land that's inherited. It, 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 there's a lot of things that go into it that can kind of shape the value of a property. And really, 
and, and what, what you're, what you're bringing up is really important. You know, how long has it been since the property sold? Because exactly for what, for what you just said is you used to be able to do so much with just a handshake. And nowadays, like you can shake hands, but you, you want to have an attorney standing beside you when you do. Um, you oh know. yeah. I've got, I've got a land investor. I mean, I don't know. I think he did probably 14 or 15 transactions with me last year and he hates signing offers. Can't, he's a farmer. He, Kayla, I'm a man of my word. I shake your hand. I'm going to stand on what I say flat foot. I'm going to do what I say. And I said, I agree. I am too, but it's 2022. We've got to get it. In, we have it's the same conversation every time. We've got to get it in writing. We've got to get it in writing. And uh, that, but, you know, that's what I love about land is you deal with people, you know, that are typically like-minded and, and if they're going to say they're going to do something, they're going to do it and they're going to stand by it. And it's really salt of the earth people that are just, you know, just, just land, you know, land ownership is different than anything else. And you deal with a lot of people that are, are just good, honest, genuine people. And that's one of the reasons I, I love what I do is the people I get to work with. And that's, that's the most important thing to me and helping them and, and learning from them. And if I can show them something where I can, you know, create a little extra value for their property, you know, so be it. Yeah. So, and, and talk to me a little, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, specifically with working with a family, working with, you know, an inherited piece, do you like to get them all in the same room? Do you, do you, are you talking to them all separately? I mean, a lot of the times they're probably not even living in the same state. So how do you kind of organize the family and what's, what's the best way for them to, to put themselves together? Do they have, do they have sort of like a primary speaker? Should they designate somebody to kind of like work on their behalf or should, should you work with them as a collective whole? What's, what's been the easiest process that you've worked with? Yeah, it's really dependent upon the property and the family really the family, um, sort of their comfort zone then. Yeah. And I've, I've sat down in, you know, someone's kitchen with all the family gathered around and we worked it out and it was fine. And I've done deals where, you know, they don't speak and will not speak to one another. And in that situation, you know, I work with everybody individually and communicate as much as I can in writing as well as verbal, but mostly in writing so that, I have something to refer back and say, you know, such and such said we could do this. What are your thoughts on that? You know, and just document everything. Um, what makes it super easy on everybody is, you know, to hire an attorney that specializes in real estate and, and inherited property or does wills and probates and things that know the process and have that one point of contact. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something I always, you know, always recommend to families that, that don't see eye to eye that are struggling with how to do something like this is look, I'll tell you what it's worth. I'll tell you the best way to sell it. Um, but we all have to agree to agree at, at some point. And my biggest fear as an agent is, you know, getting a property agreed to list and market and sell and you get a buyer and this has happened to me and I've, I've gotten a buyer that's within 10% of the asking price. And you've got one of the owners that are saying, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to sell at, at that price. And the rest of them do. So, you know, 
I would say to landowners out there that are listening that are dealing with inherited land, managing expectations and getting all of the conversations and emotions out up front before you try to list the market and find a buyer and say, okay, if we list this, you know, get what, you know, what are we really looking to, to, to sell it for? And in today's market, a lot of times we're getting, you know, equal to, or even above asking price. But, um, you know, I think having those conversations ahead of time and managing those expectations, it just with complete clarity, uh, with all the siblings or whomever that owns the property joint together is it will, it will ease a lot of heartache in the future for everybody and make everything go a lot smoother. Um, which is good for everybody. Cause when a, when a deal, you know, starts off smooth and continues smooth and everybody knows what they're expecting and those properties in my experience will close easily with not a lot of issues. If you start off with problems and you start off without realizing what everybody wants to get for it or, or how they want to divide it or what have you, problems typically continue to compound and real estate deals that are, are complicated from day one or are only going to get worse with time. But the good thing is if you've got a good agent that can manage that for you and set those expectations with the family and, and kind of control the situation, then, then you can get the property sold or, or bought or whatever you're looking to do. Yeah, you bring up a really good point as far as kind of setting the table, right, for everybody. You know, you've got, you've got a family going into a situation, you know, potentially where there's, there's multiple owners at stake, where, where, you know, between two and however many kids there are, grandkids or how, you know, however it's set up is that you're going to have a lot of opinions. You're, you're always going to have that family member that's gung ho and like starts running with the ball before everybody else is ready to play. And then you're going to have, you know, there's always that family member that doesn't want to agree with anybody. Like there's, there's always going to be those pieces because families, people are going to people. And, and your, your family is, you know, they always, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Like you're going to have those complications and getting everybody to agree before you make any steps or, and, and then work with an agent and say, what, you know, what is your expectation of selling value? Uh, you know, how fast are you looking to sell it? Uh, what are you looking to do with this? Why are you looking to sell? And getting, you know, getting everybody on the same page there enables people to move forward without hurt feelings because it's always when there's a failure to communicate up front, that's when somebody starts feeling left behind. That's when somebody starts lashing out. That's when somebody says, well, fine, I don't want to sell and I'm going to maintain my portion. Um, that's when all the complications arise, right? So how do you, how do you set the stage for that? When you, when you go into a situation like this and, and you've got a family for the first time, do, do you make sure like, Hey, have you all talked? Like, how do you go about that? So usually there's one person in the family that kind of controls the conversation for the family. Um, and I've been in situations where that's not true that it becomes very awkward, but in most, most cases, there's usually a, spokes, a spokesperson for the family. And when we meet, you know, I'll have a conversation with everybody, but usually there's one person that's kind of important, you know, executive of state, for example, or, or whatever the case is. And, and that person will kind of speak for the family. I present what I think is the best way to sell the property to, to achieve, you know, whatever their goal is. Sometimes it's not the most amount of money. Sometimes it's the fastest sale. Sometimes, you know, 
it, it's more important that to certain people that, Hey, farmer Jones been farming this for 50 years. I want to make sure that whoever buys it gives him the rights for the next three years to farm it. Or, you know, my grandson hunts the property. He'd like to at least finish out the hunting season, you know, so that it's not always about money. And I think the most important thing is learning what's important to the family. Um, and then trying to get, you know, trying to achieve those things for the family. Um, and a lot of, you know, something we didn't really t- hit on, but uh, you know, a lot of times, um, you'll have family members that will buy out other family members. And so you're not conveying a sale to the open public. You're just helping people navigate, you know, if one person wants to sell their interest, um, to the family, you know, helping, helping achieve that. And the, and like I said before, the most important thing is finding out what fair market value is. And then, um, you know, in situations like that, you don't have to divide the property. If one person just wants to sell their interest, they can sell it to the rest of the family and give the other owners their, their equitable interest divided amongst everybody else. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I've, you know, that, that, um, is, is, is pretty common. Um, cause not everybody wants to sell the property. So they want to hold it. Yeah. So how do you, how do you work with that? Like, so you've got some family members that want to sell and some families that don't, and you, you already talked to the point of you worked with a gentleman that, that slowly just bought stake into one lot of, or one parcel of property. Um, how are you working with these guys? Like, is it, do you, do you float the idea of subdividing you know, the land or do you, do you keep, do you keep the land whole? Like, I mean, I'm assuming this is all given to circumstance, but I I just wanted to know sort of like how you've worked with it. Yeah. It all goes back to what everybody's trying to achieve. Um, You know, what are the motivations for doing it? What are they trying to achieve and how can we help them, you know, get there? So if the family says, Hey, this has been held in our family forever. We just want to preserve it and make sure it stays in our family and one of the people went out, they could care less, then there would be no need to, to, you know, survey out their, their portion and, and, and assign it to whomever. Simply they could, you know, deed it to the, their interest to the remainder of the estate or, or however the title was, was, was received and be compensated for that portion. Then the rest of the owners all own, you know, their interest just went up by that, that percent. Um, and you know, it just goes back to what's the property worth and, and, you know, what's that interest in that, in that person's property worth. And that's, that's a lot easier to do, um, than selling someone's interest on the open market. Cause when you do that, then you need to petition, you know, you need to divide the property, get a good license surveyor to, um, survey it out and, and divide it accordingly. And a lot of times, you know, um, a property, a smaller property has a higher value than as a whole. So let's say you've got a hundred acre track of land and there's, there's, there's four ownership parties and one wants to sell the others. Don't the other three says, Hey, I'm good with our 75%. We don't want the other person's interest. Well, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll divide that one person's interest out and that property is now worth more than what 25% of the whole was because 25 acres in a certain area usually sells for a higher price per acre than a hundred acres does. So, you know, it's, 
if, if you're buying it, if you're buying out someone's interest when there's other people that still have interest in the property, that's not as valuable um, of their interest is not as valuable because you're sharing with other people. But if you're a petition division, uh, survey out that parcel, you own your 25 acres of a hundred acre farm individually. Now it's yours. It's only yours. A, you can get more money because now you're selling hundred percent of controlling interest of the property. And B, chances are you just increase the value of your interest because it is now um, a smaller parcel of land. And typically, smaller parcels go for a higher price per acre. Right. So, so there's, there's part of it. If you got 100 acres, let's say it's worth three. You know, let's say it's worth three thousand dollars an acre, and in the area, 25 acre pieces are selling for five thousand dollars an acre. Well, your three thousand dollar acre interest just went to five thousand dollars an acre when you cut it from the rest of the family. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's an economy of scale when you're working with big land, like you did, you buy a ton of it. It's not right. going to maintain that like $5,000 per. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's important that you, you pointed out that, that like, yeah, you can parcel off, you know, the land and sell off a, 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 a unit of that. And then everybody else maintains their section. So it's really just about the family coming to an agreement on, you know, what, what are they good with? And I'm sure that you've worked with that as far as valuating to where they felt like they got a good value out of the land that they got their 75%. And then that 25% wasn't overvalued or undervalued that they sold off. Like, you know, they can't just go in and nobody likes Uncle Bob. So they give him the crappy swamp land that nobody else wants and like put him in a parcel in his little area or something like that. You know, like, you yeah, make sure everybody agree. That, that's a good point because, um, you know, if Uncle Bob was to sell us 25% to the family, he's going to get less than typically. It's, it's well, it's not going to get less. And we'll say, I would say it's valued less than if you sold it on the open market to someone else. Because when the family buys it, once again, the family's buying it. They have to share the interest with everybody else. It's not their own piece of property. And now it's still 100 acres. Versus if he was to hire an agent to sell it outside the family, he's selling 25 acres as its own piece, 100% controlling interest. And typically that property would be valued more than a 100 acre track would be. Um, so like I said, it's all subjective to the property and to the family and what, what the intent and motivation is. You know, a lot of times I deal with people that, that need the money and they need to sell their interest and they would like to see it stay in the family also. So instead of selling on the open market, they'll have us, you know, help them sell it to work in agreement with the family. Um, you know, we do a lot, you know, I see these people do life estates also to where if you need, you know, if someone's living on the property that's elderly and they don't want to move, but they need the money or you're settling an estate and the family wants to sell the property, but you know, uncle, bill still living on the property you can still sell the property and give uncle bill a life estate and or life stay on the property and he can continue to live there and and use it um and that you know and continue to sell the property to to whomever wants to buy it and and he can live out his days on the property and it, it doesn't it doesn't uh hinder the sale or hold up a sale that's really interesting way to, to handle it too is is to set it up as you know no one's getting kicked out. You're, you're buying, basically you own it now. And then you give permission. 
I, th that's actually unique to me. I, I didn't, I didn't realize you could set it up like that. Um, which is, which is pretty cool about the learning experience it is, but because sometimes people are living, you know, on, on the property and, um, you know, my, my family personally has a, a large property in, in the low country of South Carolina that's been there in the family forever. And we have a family member that's, that's living there and, um, and we're never going to sell. Um, but the thought crossed my mind was, you know, well, how would that be handled? And, and, you know, we, I've done it in the past where when someone's living on a property, um, and the family wants to sell it, you just let that person, you know, get a real estate attorney to draw it up and send a deed that that person, you know, they can go in and they're going to get paid for their interest in it also, but they're able to, to live there on the onsite, um, until the other days and, and enjoy the property and use it and, and live there until they pass. That's a unique possibility. I'm sure a lot of people don't think of that either. Um, you know, when they're looking at selling that, that, that could be a possibility. I mean, really with land, right. You can, you can do this however you want. It's fairly organic, right? Well, you don't have that way. You don't have to wait. You know, if the family says, man, well, we really wish we could sell that property. Uncle Bill is never going to leave. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably got another maybe seven or eight years left in him. If he's lucky, you know, uh, then I don't want to wait. He just won't die. <laughs> won't and who knows the buyer might buy it. And Uncle Bill might live for another 20 years. You never know if these old people, might. uh, but you know, that, that's, that's, that's a way where the family can capture the value now and go ahead and, and, and sell the property and, 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 uh, and get paid for it. Um, while, while, you know, the family member still is living on the property. Yeah. And it really just comes down to finding an understanding buyer. Like, like, yeah, you're going to own this, but there's going to be this guy cruising around. <laughs> well, see, you know, and that's interesting. We do, I saw a lot of, you know, recreational properties, just people will buy to, to hunt and manage and, and, um, and, and enjoy. And really there's a value to having someone that on the property. And especially if you're an absentee landowner and you want to go buy a, you know, a 300 acre, you know, duck hunting just, or whatever, just a, a great recreational property in Southeast North Carolina. Um, and you live elsewhere. Um, having someone living there is, is huge. Cause I can tell you if you're not using it on a regular basis and someone's not keeping an eye on it, you'll start to inherit television sets and couches and sofas and, and, you know, and where I am, the dump charges dump tires. So it's very common. You'll go out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and just see hundreds of tires piled up in the middle of property. And I don't know about you, but you, you can't get rid of, I don't go off on the tangent, but you cannot get rid of a tire. I don't know if you ever tried to burn a tire before, but it burns for like eight days and creates this, this black, it's, it's black terrible. smoke everywhere. Yeah. Burning tire. So, and you have to pay to get rid of it. But, um, I long and short of it is just because someone's living on the property. A lot of times that can be a good thing, especially if you're an absentee landowner, um, that can keep an eye on it for you make sure that no one's, you know, trespassing or, you know, or, you know, getting hurt. That's another thing. Liability. Liability, yeah. man. I, you know, I can, again, I'm not an attorney. Every state's different, but you know, I've heard stories where people have trespassed on properties, hurt themselves has sued the landowner and won. Oh, that's and they cool. were trespassing and got hurt. But yeah. you know, it's important 
that's why it's always important to post your property, you know, put purple paint in the property lines, put up posts and signs, make sure that, you know, you're putting an effort into keeping people off or showing where the property line is because, you know, the liability of someone getting hurt, um, it is a real thing. And there it's, it has happened. And I've seen it happen where the landowner is responsible. Um, even when the, when the, the, the person that got hurt was trespassing without permission. That's I, also things I hadn't thought of. Those are really interesting points. And it's like, I know we've got like way off. On, like, <laughs> That's like, I'm telling you, like you can, on, on inherited you land, but like, it's, it's all conversation. It's all stuff that like, you have to know, right? Like it's, um, it's informational, you know, pieces that, that people wouldn't think of otherwise. And regardless of how off topic we've gone, it's still, people are going to run into it if they inherit land. Like it's, and, and it's more so probably if you've moved away from the area and, and like, you don't you just don't work with the ranch anymore. Right. And, and like, you probably don't know what you don't know. Um, and that's something that, you know, the majority of the inherited properties that I've sold, there is no one living on it. It's vacant land. They haven't stepped foot on it. You know, they some have never even seen the property. Um, and that's a very important conversation I have to have with them because in, in North Carolina, our standard offer to purchase contract, you know, when you sell a property, you're selling the real property, meaning the dirt, the trees, if you can flip it upside down and it doesn't shake out, that's, that's your real property. So your tires, your TV sets, your couches, all of that, according to the standard contract that everybody uses typically, um, has to be removed prior to closing. And, you know, unless you have a caveat or an addendum that, that speaks to that and says everything there conveys with the property. And that's another reason it's smart to use a land broker because we, you know, everything we've talked about from life stays to, um, to, you know, having a gatekeeper on a property, the dumping of trash, you can't read that in a book or take a class to learn it. You've got to just do it and experience it. And, you know, when you're selling inherited land, a lot of times you're going to have a lot of junk on the property that's hidden in the woods that if you just sign a blank or a standard contract in the state of North Carolina, you're responsible to remove prior to closing. Right, um, right. It, like and, and, old used cars everywhere, right? <laughs> right. And, and who pays for it? That's the other thing. You've got eight heirs, eight or nine heirs. Um, you know, you know, is, is one person going to pay to have everything removed prior to closing and then they get reimbursed at closing for everything to be removed. And then, you know, so it, it's, it, it's very subjective, like I said, to the situation, but um, typically a lot of buyers don't really necessarily are concerned with a couch or a TV here or there. So it's not, not that big of a deal, but you know, I've seen, I've seen some pretty incredible junk piles in the middle of the woods that's accumulated over 30, 40, 50 plus years. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, I mean, number one, you know, family's got to go out there and, and find a good attorney and, and somebody who knows land because just because somebody works with inheritance doesn't mean they understand like water rights. Um, so you want to, you want an attorney that does things, you want a land agent that, that can properly give you the current market valuation of, of what you're working with and, and be able to, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm sure what you've spoken to during our conversation here is that a lot of what a land agent has to do is be a mediator, you know, like does the family get along or not? 
hopefully the family had a will in place, right? So where some of the designation of who owns what is easy, but in the cases where somebody passes away, what is interstate, right? Where they, they don't have a will and you've got to figure out, does it go to your spouse? Did you have kids before you married your spouse? Because now it's divided between the spouse and those kids and the kids that you had together have to wait for that spouse to pass away to, to, to achieve ownership. Or is there a buyout or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in there that quite frankly is, is out of the, the land agent's hand that the attorney has to deal with. Uh, is there inheritance tax on the property? How large is it? And will, will everybody be taxed on whatever they sell for? Um, those are all things to keep in, in mind, but really, I mean, the, the key into the whole equation is the family getting together, figuring out their expectations and, and, all working together. And if there is an outlier, try to get those taken care of, you know, somebody disagrees, somebody doesn't want to sell. You got to get that taken care of right out of the gate. Like if they have 15% of the property, maybe you can cut them off a parcel and they'll be happy with that 15% of the, of the, of the property and everyone else can sell or, or just something. Everyone's got to figure it out before they even come to the table with, with an agent to look at selling. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, Hey man, I, I, you know, I know we're running up on time and I know that you've got a day to get to. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, how does somebody work with you in North Carolina? What are, what are they, who are they reaching out to? Yeah. So, you know, I'm with national land realty. Um, I'm definitely biased, but it is the best land brokerage firm in the country. And that's why I'm with them. Um, nationalland.com is our website. And uh, it's really user friendly and you can actually choose by, we've got agents all over the country. Um, so, you know, if you're where, in New Mexico or New Jersey or wherever, you can go to the website and find an agent and, uh, and, and then choose that agent in, in your local area. You know, we're thinking about national land that I love the most is we're a team and we all work together. We're not a franchise company. So we all have a team, team mentality. and. Uh, we all you know, are kind of driven to help people. So, you know, I can speak confidently that no matter where you are in the country, if you call one of our agents, they're, they're going to be willing to help you, whether it turns into a sale or not. Um, we really believe in giving back and helping people. And that's, that's, uh, that's huge. Yeah. And Caleb, uh, one, I was good. Sorry. Go ahead, man. I'll say one, one last thing I would, I would, I would say just thinking about with, with landowners and inherited property if you can get everybody to agree uh, to use, you know, one attorney to handle it, um, I would highly recommend that. Um, I have seen it play out several different times where when there's more than one attorney involved, um, they're looking out as their duty for their client's best interest. And ultimately it turns into more billing hours for the attorney. And it really <laughs> slows the pace down of getting the property sold and conveyed to a buyer. And it, 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 it typically doesn't work out for anybody, but, but the attorney. So I would always recommend if the family can agree to use one professional attorney that specializes in that form of real estate to use one to represent the family in its entirety. And that way it's fair for everybody. And it, it, it moves the transaction swiftly and, and equitably for everybody. That's a really good point because if they, if they're working for the family, it is their, it is their fiscal duty 
to represent everybody equally. So they, by nature, are are making sure that everybody gets a fair shake, as opposed to you get ter- attorneys going head to head, both looking out for their party's best interest. It's this tug of war that's probably just going to end up with bills more than anything else. That's right. Good points. And, and Kaylin, do you work with a specific type of land there in North Carolina, or, or you know, have you have you kind of dialed into a specific area or types of clients that you work with? You know, I get I get what I can when I can. Um, you know, we the 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 higher end recreational tracks have been really good to me. Just the nature of where I'm located. You know, we've got some some world-class bear hunting and, 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 and duck hunting, you know, within the Eastern North Carolina. Um, I do quite a bit of timberland sales because we have a lot of plantation ponds in our area, um, as well as farmland. You know, the thing about farmland is, um, a lot of the people that own it typically don't want to sell it. They want to hold on to it. And that's pretty consistent across the country. Um, we do a lot of farmland sales. So really, you know, I personally specialize in tracks that are over, you know, 50 or hundred acres. And we have agents that, um, that specialize in the smaller stuff too. So if you've got a, you know, a 10 acre piece that you want to try to sell and, and, and someone for a homestead or, or a home site, we do that too. Um, so really anything, um, that's, that's, that's land related, uh, really I'd say in my area, at least 10 acres and up is kind of what we specialize in. Um, you know, National Land has a commercial division that does commercial real estate also. Uh, but personally, I, I just stick with uh, the larger uh, vacant tracts of land. Excellent. Well, Kalen, I appreciate your time today, man. Your, your wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always great talking land. Yep. Yeah, I, I know. I probably do it all day. Um, hey, I appreciate it. Wish you, wish you well and uh, have a good one. I appreciate it. Thank you. This concludes episode number six of the National Land Realty podcast, discussing inherited land with National Land Realty land professional Kalen Campbell out of Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about land ownership or the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.